Lord, thank you for this day, this opportunity to be together. Opportunity to hear some Ramas, not just read Logoses, but uh, Lord, we want we want a, a relationship with the God of the universe who created us to have that relationship with. Lord, inside every person, there's a God-space vacuum that only Christ can fill, as Pascal said. Lord, we want that space filled, uh, not with anyone or anything other than you. Today, strengthen our resolve in this. Bolster our faith. Lord, help us leave this place today stronger Christians, more committed to following you. Uh, more proud of the fact that we are your followers. And we just pray that you guide us uh, in this. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, as I said, you know, and I wasn't really joking much of what I'll be sharing today related to what I shared the last time I spoke, which was on our series of the seven churches in Revelation. My assignment was the church at Philadelphia. And I'd like to just begin by reading that letter once again here. Uh, briefly. It's in your outline. I think you have that. And uh, I'd like to just read this letter, which was written by Jesus, and he wrote it to the church, not unlike our church, really, in many ways here, but to a church in a town in modern-day Turkey called Philadelphia. It was the sixth of the seventh seven churches that he wrote to and it was the only church of all these churches that though they were all experiencing similar trials and similar challenges a need to persevere a need to really um, draw that line between the kingdom of darkness the kingdom of light uh, though they had that need Jesus didn't say anything negative about the people of Philadelphia the folks at Philadelphia for whatever reason Unlike all the other churches, the folks there at Philadelphia, they, uh, they pleased the Lord with the choices they were making in their lives. And uh, again, uh, it's encouraging to, to take note of that. Here's what he wrote. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, he who is holy and true, who has the keys of David, who opens and no one shuts, who shuts and no one opens, and who says, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power, and but have kept my word. And I have not denied my name, because you have kept the word uh, of my perseverance. And then he gives this big promise. I also will keep you from the hour of testing. That hour which is about to come upon the whole world. To test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have. So that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. And he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem. Which comes down out of heaven from my God. And my new name. He who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. That was the letter that Jesus wrote to the church at Philadelphia. Boy if we had a letter that Jesus wrote to us. I'm sure we'd have it mounted somewhere. This letter was preserved for thousands of years now in the scripture itself, in the book of Revelation. And so as I was reading this several weeks ago when I was asked to teach on this subject, I was going through a time where I seemed to be facing loss, personal, but also just in other ways, 
more than more than I guess I had been used to experiencing in my life. I was working at a retirement home, uh, put in 400 volunteer hours just last five months, January through May. And you know, there was folks there that you got to be real close with that, uh, that moved into the hospice or that passed away or that re- were having difficulties with their health, moved into assisted care, some from independent, uh, some went from assisted to hospice. But you got to know all these people quite well. And uh, you know, it was really sad, you know, to see the sense of loss. And these people were very vital. One of the gals I met, her sister-in-law invented Mickey Mouse. Uh, Her name's Agar. She worked for Walt Disney. She gave me the whole story behind Walt Disney assigning her to come up with a happy little creature. Uh, One of the gal's husband put uh, a man on the moon, and she was at the party after uh, after putting a man on the moon party. Uh, They went to the swimming pool nearby. They all cut off their ties. She and her husband were thrown in the swimming pool. Uh, Quite an interesting lady. You have all these stories of strength, but people who now have lost, lost their health, Uh, many, you know, losing their lives. And it began to wear on me a little bit uh, as you began to see this. You know, I personally have experienced financial loss over the years here. Uh, many have. Many, many in, the, in the great turnaround a few years ago lost a lot of their uh, retirement savings back in 2008 when there's a big dip. You know, so there's that kind of loss. Relationship loss. People that uh, have a challenge relating to each other for any number of reasons. Uh, We can experience those kinds of losses. The loss of a dream, the loss of an aspiration, the loss of a a way of life, the loss of any number of things. Here recently, uh, and I've been kind of planning this move for a while, we moved out of our home then. You know, we've been there almost 30 years. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of memories, but... uh, you know, uh, hey, living in a one-bedroom room is so nice, I don't even remember those memories anymore. Um, anyway, but it is challenging, you know, kind of that whole loss of, uh, of a transition of things. And uh, there's all kinds. You can fill in the blank ways that you may have suffered loss. Um, I was talking with a gal who was getting this chaplain to, uh, they call, call them CPEs, uh, clinical pastoral educational units, and I was in this group. And she opened up one day and just started weeping. And uh, and she opened up. She had never been married, never had kids, and she, you know, she was kind of relating the sense of loss that she felt from that. And so, uh, as I read this letter that Jesus wrote to the Philadelphians, I know that these people experienced the same losses, same challenges, same trials that all the other churches were experiencing that Jesus wrote to. But for some reason, he didn't say anything bad about these folks. And I think that somehow or another, uh, they were folks who seem to understand how to cope with loss. At least that's how I read this letter. Now, maybe in a few months I'll read this again and, and just focus on the conclusion of this letter rather than the introduction. But in the introduction, I saw uh, maybe an anecdote uh, to loss uh, that these people seem to persevere in believing God for. First of all, they believed that God was good. Certainly they believed he he existed, but they also believed that he was good. He who is holy, he who is true. Uh, Point four of my outline here, God is good. 
Then Jesus, is, in his introduction, went on. He who has the key of David. You know, David was the king of Israel, the rightful king. Uh, the heir to the throne would be his descendants, and his kingdom would last forever and ever, you know, through Christ. But just as David was a king, Jesus became the king, uh, the rightful heir of David's kingdom. And so I saw in that that uh, David, uh, that in point two, that God is our Lord. God has a special relationship with us as his followers. We're to be, in a sense, his subjects as he is our king. The Philadelphians seemed to understand these two points, that God was good, but God was their Lord. Those two points. And then he went on, who opens doors that no one can close and who closes doors that no one can open. And by this, the Philadelphians understood that God is powerful. Isn't that what that means? He can open a door that no one can close. He can close doors that no one can open. And so that became point three of the anecdote. Understanding God's power. God is good. God's my Lord. God's powerful. And then he went on with this and he says, I know your deeds to the Philadelphians. And in a word, uh, he went on and says, you have kept my word of my perseverance. And I suppose if in a word, if you were to attribute anything to the equation to the Philadelphians for persevering through their losses, it would be that they did just that. They persevered through their losses. There's a, if we can go back to the, uh, in, uh, the opening slide of the two rivers. This is actually, gosh, our backyard now, Julie, but uh, the confluence, I think they call it Confluence Park. It's where Cherry Creek and the South Platte River uh, come together. And I kind of see that when it comes to God's sovereignty and what he accomplishes regardless and our um, kind of our responsibility for making right choices. I kind of see those two truths, God's sovereignty, our responsibility is kind of that point where the two rivers come together. It's called a confluence where these rivers come together. And God did, he, he, he did commend these Philadelphians for, for their, their river, for their part of this confluence. He said, you kept the word of my perseverance. So they were doing something in the equation. Just hanging on was good enough. God, of course, uh, was the one who was in ultimate control. And so that was the fourth point was that, uh, you know, we have a responsibility as well uh, to persevere in the losses that we face in our life. I had a few thoughts on each of these four points. On that first point, and no real rhyme or reason to the order, is probably the least significant of these four points. But it's just my river, you know, my works, you know, what I'm called to do. And that is, I believe, is to persevere. You know, God just asking me, Tim, today, you know, you're going to have to put that left foot in front of the right foot. And then after you've done that, you're going to have to put the right foot in front of the left foot. And then after you've done that, you know, that's going to be the kind of day you're going to have. But if you do that, at the end of this day, I'm going to be happy with you. You're going to to please me because you persevered through a difficult situation. Just as he was pleased with the Philadelphians 2,000 years ago, God can be pleased with you and me today as we persevere through the sense of losses that we face in our lives. 
You know, there's a verse that, it, I don't know, it, it reminded me of this verse in Matthew 13, 1. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake, a large crowd gathered, uh, and he told them many things. And that's not the right verse. I'm sorry. Um, like, Mom, Mom, come back. Come back here. Oh, she's halfway down the hall already. But I got the keys to the car. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm not sure what that verse was now. Other than it says that uh, he who has will more be given. And to him who doesn't have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Wherever that verse is. And uh, that's kind of an interesting verse, but it kind of puts, uh, underscores the importance of our character, the importance of our choices, the importance of the things that we do, because there are those in this life who even what they have will be taken away. And there are those who have a lot and will be given more. And so loss sometimes does relate to the choices I might make. I have an f- agricultural example on this, a farm background that mom would really relate to on this. Uh, my uh, grandmother had two brothers that were you know, serious drinkers. In fact, when we got two little lambs from a neighbor, uh, they suckled so hard at that, their little nippled buckets that uh, we named them after uh, my uncles. Uh, you know, and of course, uh, my dad did that. I think, uh, you know, those with a little more common sense changed the name to Sammy and Babyface. Uh, is a little more politically correct. Even back then, people were politically correct. But uh, in any case, Joe, uh, which was one of the lamb's names initially, uh, Joe uh, wanted the family farm. Uh, but he was an alcoholic. But his mother really wanted him to have it. And this was when my dad was just coming out of the chutes. And he wanted that his grandmother's farm rather than his uncle having it. And so he uh, tried to make the case that he should get this uh, family farm, you know, that, uh, that Grandma Leonard wanted to give to Joe. And uh, anyway, long and short of it is, Joe got the farm and subsequently lost the farm. Even what he had, he lost. Because he couldn't keep it. Now, my dad went on and got a couple other farms. Because uh, those who have get more. Because of the character there. Now, we have a farmer there, Chris Leitner, who farms some of our land back in Iowa. And uh, Chris Leitner is a really good farmer. And uh, there is someone who was working for mom when she was back home who uh, made the comment. Because when mom was going to rent out some of this land... uh, it ended up going to Chris Leitner, this really good farmer. But they, she made the comment, well, I guess those who have get and those who don't have don't get. But there's a reason Chris got our land is that's because he's the best farmer in the area. And there's reasons they didn't because they may have been good, but they just weren't quite as good. We, we just wanted Chris to get that property. Look, all I'm saying is we, we just can't... Uh, walk away from the responsibilities God places on our shoulder to make right choices in our lives. We've got to make good choices, choices to persevere, choices to trust God, choices to do right, uh, even when, you know, there's so much, so much pressure and so much against us. That's a very small piece of the puzzle. But it's a piece I think uh, I'd like to share. Jesus knew their works, and he said that to commend them for what they did. And that was the work of perseverance. And then it goes on. Jesus is Lord. 
The verse I thought of on that is Luke 22. And in Luke 22, at least I hope that's the verse. In Luke chapter 22, verse 39, um, it says this, Luke 22, verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. And on reaching uh, the place said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone throws beyond them and knelt down and prayed and said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. You know, this was a, a great loss Jesus was about to face in his life. The loss of his life. Uh, the loss of, uh, and, and actually he was going to be, you know, in a very torturous way, having his life taken from him. But the key words that night in the Garden of Gethsemane were, yet not your will, not my will, but your will be done. And in those words, Jesus acknowledged the lordship of of his God. Just as the Philadelphians were reminded of Jesus' lordship in his letter to them and seemed to be persevering in that understanding that Jesus was good, that Jesus was Lord, um, in the same way Jesus saw the lordship of God over his life. And even whatever losses we face, you know, don't you think, I think it's true that we can trust God's sovereignty in this. You know, there's a verse in Corinthians that said, no temptation is overtaking you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Whenever I face whatever loss I face, I think of that verse, and I think, God is my Lord. God is sovereign. He surely would not have allowed me to face this loss if he didn't feel that I can persevere through it. So I'll think in those terms, I want to endeavor to yield to the lordship of God in my life. You know, uh, Psalm 2 is another great psalm on God's sovereignty. How blessed is the man who does not, oh, I'm sorry, Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. You know, God is sovereign. He is the Lord. He is in control, even though there are, you know, dictators that, you know, rise for a time. God gives us great promises. And I like this one in John 16. 22 he's speaking to his disciples he said you know right now you are going to grieve i'm about to leave you will grieve but i will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will ever take your joy away you know that's a beautiful promise in john 16:22 it transcends our life on this earth to our life after earth where there's going to be a joy that no one can ever take away And Jesus was telling his disciples, you will grieve, but there's going to be a joy that follows that you will have and no one will ever take away from you. And Jesus sees that big picture. God sees the big picture. Yeah, Adolf Hitler's around for a time here, you know, wreaking havoc and mischief, but the day will come of a reckoning for him and there will be joy that will be found in the presence of God forever. That's a promise God gives. And those are the kind of promises, you know, that is challenging when we're facing loss to believe in. I love the verse that says, a bird will not fall to the ground except for the fact that God would notice. 
And, you know, think of that kind of sovereignty as well. Every uh, hair on our head is numbered. A bird doesn't drop to the ground apart from his notice. And then another one on God's power, which relates to his lordship as well, but this one in Philippians 3.20 is another encouraging verse for me these days. And it says in Philippians uh, 3.20, if I can locate it here, it says... um, Our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we identify ourselves. We eagerly await for the Savior who is from there, the Lord Jesus, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. You know, that's... uh, you know, an amazing a power that God has to take mortal human bodies and transform them into eternal heavenly bodies that will be with him forever and ever. And that's the kind of power that God has. And it's the kind of power I want to be reminded of even in the midst of my circumstances. In this loss that I'm facing, uh, my good work is to persevere But I'm going to also yield to his lordship, recognize his power, and know that he is good. And God loves me more than I know. And with that goodness and with that power, and with his promise that he won't allow me to be tempted beyond what I'm able, it gives me grace to persevere in the midst of my my losses. And uh, on his goodness... Uh, that's uh, in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, a verse uh, I'd like to share as well. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11. With this in mind, we constantly pray that our God may count you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. You know, Jesus is glorified by our good deeds, by our good actions. That's how we glorify him because he is a good God. Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Every work of ours is really a work of his grace. Uh, Not really... uh, any great work of our own. And then, again, the second part of God's goodness is that he gives us promises. Ample promises. Just like he did to the Philadelphians. You know, you persevere, I will keep you from the hour of testing. Uh, You persevere, uh, I am coming quickly. You persevere, hold fast to what you have. Okay, you persevere, um, uh, you'll receive a crown. You persevere, I will make you a pillar in the temple of God. You persevere, you will not go away from it anymore. You persevere, I will write on you my name, the name of the new Jerusalem, and give you a new name. These are promise after promise after promise to help the Philadelphians do what he knew they had to do, and that was to simply persevere in trusting him through the trials and the losses they would face in life. And I'll close on one final verse. Because loss is really just a form of a trial. It's a kind of trial. Uh, But it's it's the kind of trial that can certainly be difficult to, to face. 
But God will want us to face all the trials that we have in our lives with this confidence. Consider it in James chapter 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face loss. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking in anything. And so loss, in one sense, then becomes even a good thing. Something to get us to a desired goal. To become more mature, more like Christ. I put it right along with my goal of losing weight. That also is a good thing. Guys, let's pray. And let's ask the Lord really to be more than just a logos to you, but really a rhema to you. Where these words that we talked about, words that we read, would be uh, not just words, but rhemas that you personally believe. Let's ask God to guide us in that. Lord, thank you for this time together. Lord, um, this life is uh, soon to pass. We know that uh, each of us here will one day stand before you. The younger we are in this room, the less, the more difficult it is to even believe that. As we age, I think the more easy it is to believe that. But it's true, regardless of age, regardless of who we are. Lord, we only want to hear well done, good and faithful servants. And we just pray, Lord, that you give us believing hearts to trust that you are good, to trust that you are powerful in our lives as individuals, to trust that you really are our Lord. Lord, we only want to meet those truths by a response on our part to persevere in faith, knowing that you do love us more than we can possibly know. In Jesus' name, amen.